what the series we're going to start is. It's been a little while since we did a book study, and I said, well, why don't we do another one of those? I originally said, well, let's do Romans, and then I went, no, I don't know if we're ready for that yet. It has nothing to do with you guys. It has everything to do with, I'm not sure if I'm ready yet to preach you guys through the book of Romans. It's an incredible book with a ton of incredible things in it. It would take us the better part probably of a year to work our way through the entirety of it. So we went to a book that's chock full with just as much good stuff, but is shorter. And we're going to start in James. I once had somebody tell me, if you ever feel good about yourself, read the book of James. You won't anymore. So I'm going to be upfront with you. If you come in on Sunday mornings feeling real hot about yourself, you won't probably when we're done. James says some things that we all need to hear, but that none of us want to hear. Even the good stuff, you're like, well, yeah, but that's hard. You're right. James is chock full of a lot of verses people are going to know, right? Even in, the, in verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. We all know that verse, right? It's one of the first ones you memorize. Verses about the tongue being like a double-edged sword and how it, it's like a ship's rudder moving it to and fro. Verses that talk about, you show me, you, you say you have faith, I'll show you my faith by my work. Stuff like that, right? All these verses that we might know. But let's put them in their context. Let's talk about them the way that James was writing. Not just the way that we hear them in church or Sunday school or children's church or Awana or pick your favorite program that you went to or listen to on the radio or TV. So we're going to start out in James chapter 1. And James chapter 1 is pretty much all about faith, which is why today's sermon is James on Faith, part 1. This isn't the quintessential verse on faith. That's out of Hebrews chapter 11 right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the belief in things unseen. That's not in this book. But this gives us a way better, in my opinion, working definition of what our faith should be like. Let's talk about faith today. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. There's a lot of ones on the board today. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind." For that man ought to not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Let's talk about faith this morning. Number one in your note sheets there is testing. Testing of faith. This book, the book of James, this letter, 
was originally not going to be included in the 66 canonical books that make up our Bible. However, once they discovered that it was written by the half-brother of Jesus, they went, we can't leave that one out, can we? And I'm sure glad they didn't. This was written originally to Jewish people of the 12 tribes that are scattered across the world at this point. They understand trials and tribulation better than we probably ever will. And that's where James starts this. He wants them, this is typical of all letters back then, you say who you are. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. His authority doesn't come, just as Paul's didn't, or Peter's didn't, or any of the other epistles didn't. His authority doesn't come from him. It doesn't even come from being the half-brother of Jesus. His authority comes from the fact he is a bondservant of the one true God. Church, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are also a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're on equal footing with James. That's pretty cool in my book. Scattered to the, to the tribes, scattered across. Consider it all joy, my brethren. Pop quiz. And this is not a rhetorical question. Pop quiz. What is the single most persecuted people group in the history of the world? The Jews. Literally since their inception, most of it by their own problems, but, or their own causing, I should say, But there has never been a people group as persecuted as the Jews were. So James starts the first actual sentence of his letter to them by saying, Hey, consider it pure joy when you're persecuted. This is a rhetorical question. I want you to ask it of yourself. How many of you have ever been in the midst of a trial of a tribulation and gone, Wow, this is really joyful, isn't it? My heart is just light and floating today. Because the fact of the matter is that trials and tribulations are not joyful. They are actually the opposite of it. But James doesn't say consider it joy, the trial and tribulation joy. He says consider it joy that you have them. Why? Because... The testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That word perfect there does not mean that you will never do anything wrong. What it actually means is mature. The testing of your faith produces endurance. And the more you endure, the more mature you become. Another rhetorical question for you this morning. How many of you know people that you go, you're old or older. Why are you not mature yet? Grow up. Somebody probably popped into your mind right now and you went, oh yeah. I don't like them. I will tell you that most likely it is because they have not endured trials and tribulations. We talked last week that trials and tribulations, right, suffering, they are going to happen in your life. So we start today by saying, find the joy in them. And that joy comes from knowing there's a purpose for them. 
The trial and the tribulation is not joyful. And many of you in here have faced trials and tribulations that are significantly worse than I in my young age have faced. It's okay. You're more mature than I am right now. We're working together. Consider it pure joy or all joy when you face them because you know it makes you mature, because it grows you, because you are not supposed to be the same person tomorrow that you are today. If you are the exact same person tomorrow that you are today, you wasted the trials and tribulations you walked through that day. Consider it pure joy when you have your faith tested. The great thing, though, is that James doesn't just leave it there and say, your faith's going to be tested, see ya. Number two, ask without doubt. Ask without doubt. Because he continues in verse five. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I know, some of you might know of more, I know of two things in Scripture that it is promised you will get should you ask for them. The first one is wisdom. Does anybody know the second one that I'm thinking of? We won't play that game again. That I'm thinking of. Grace. Salvation. Exactly. If you ask him for it, he gives it. If you ask him for wisdom, he gives it. Generously. God doesn't want you to be floundering around in the dark. Now, he usually only likes one step. But it's not all dark around you. The problem is, the light's over here, and we're facing this way. And we're going, God, where's the wisdom? And he's over here going, hey, it's over here. God always gives wisdom. I, I was counseling somebody just a couple of weeks ago, and I said, and I firmly believe this, very rarely will you not know what to do. More often, it's that you don't want to do what you know you should do. Back during the summer, when uh, my mom died, my, my mother's mom, right, I wrestled for weeks with whether or not I should go to that stinking funeral. Weeks I wrestled with it. Here's the problem. If you're wrestling with God, it's because you already know the answer. I knew the answer, I just was really hoping he'd change his mind. Here's the problem, God doesn't often change his mind either. Ask for wisdom and it's given. There is one caveat on it though. You can't doubt that you will get it. Because it continues on in verse 6. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. That part, that verse is taken out of context so often to be like, you've got to ask for everything in faith. If you doubt, you'll never get anything. What is the verse talking about? Wisdom. If I said, if I was talking, I usually don't change topics like the speed of a hat. I can, but at least usually there's some sort of segue. You'd think there'd be a sentence there that goes, now this applies to everything, not just what I was already talking about. There's not. So he says, listen, but ask in faith without doubting. Ask for wisdom in faith without doubting that God will give it to you. 
it's important because we convince ourselves that God doesn't want us to know things, that God's hiding things from us, that God is somehow up there laughing at us, floundering around in the dark. All of you in here have parents. How do I know? You're here. Deductive reasoning. There was a great many times in my youth and young age and even adulthood where I would ask my parents something and they would only give me part of the information and the rest of it they would say something along the lines of, you'll know when you're older. You don't need to know that. It's not your business. Stuff like that. As a child, it was one of the worst things I could ever hear. As an adult, and Lord, Lord willing, one day father, I can't wait to use it. It's going to be great. But the fact of the matter is that good parents know you don't need to necessarily know everything. Some things you keep for their protection. Some things you keep because they're just not old enough yet. Some things you keep because it's not their business to know that information. There is a great many things I have learned since becoming an adult about stories and situations that happened in my childhood that I, when I had no idea that was going on, I'm like, well, yeah, you were 10. You didn't need to know that was going on. God does the same thing to us. Yes, there are things God won't tell you. You're right. Do you trust him, though, that those things he keeps from you are the things you're not supposed to know yet? Do you trust him? See, as a four-year-old, I didn't necessarily trust my parents that I didn't need to know that information yet. As a 16-year-old, I really didn't trust that that wasn't information I needed to know yet. As an adult, being able to look back, I can go, oh, yeah, I really didn't need to know that yet. Do you trust that when you ask him for wisdom, he will give you exactly the wisdom that you need for that situation? Or do you doubt him? Do you doubt his goodness? Do you doubt his grace? Do you doubt his love for you? That's what this is talking about. Always go and ask for wisdom. He provides it. And trust that the wisdom that he gives you is the wisdom you need in that moment. You don't need to have wisdom for tomorrow. It hasn't happened yet. You need the wisdom for today. Now, I know there are things that happen later on in life. You pray about whether you should go to college. You pray about whether you should move jobs, whether you should move to a different house. I'm not talking about those things. God gives wisdom on those, right? But I'm saying, if you're praying for something and God's going, wait. I'll give you the answer, but you need to wait. You're not ready for it yet. Do you trust him to keep walking? And that one day, when the time is right, you'll know. Let me throw one more wrench in that. It might not be this side of eternity that you know. In fact, most of the time, it won't be till you're in heaven that you know. It won't be till you're fully mature that you get some information that you've wanted your entire life. And then I find it interesting that James finishes this passage of scripture by talking about humility and pride. Number three on your note sheets, humility versus pride. Humility versus pride. 
I'm going to make a statement. It is a black and white statement, and yes, I mean what I say. If you are a prideful person, you are not a faithful person. If you are prideful, you don't have faith. Why do I say that? What is pride? Being in control of everything. If I'm in control of everything, I don't have faith in the one who actually has control in everything. The humble person, on the other hand, the humble person goes, I don't know. God, give me the wisdom. The prideful person goes, well, I've read a lot of books, and I've read through the Bible, and I've lived a lot of life. I know exactly what we should be doing. Elsewhere in Scripture, God's pretty clear that he makes fools of prideful men. He's done it throughout all of eternity. He'll stop one day when we're in heaven and no longer prideful. He brings into this dynamic because they needed to understand. It does not matter how much you've read. It does not matter how much you know, how many times you've read through Scripture, how much uh, Scripture you have memorized, how many times you're in a church during the week. It doesn't matter. What matters is are you connected to the one who has literally all knowledge? Because you and I have a tiny little bit. God has it all. And he compares it to somebody who's rich and who's poor. Now, I want to say this. Being rich does not necessarily make you prideful. I will say it's significantly easier to be prideful when you're rich. But it doesn't make you prideful. So let's talk about what this actually means, those ending verses there. What he's talking about is realizing that money means little in life. No, it doesn't, Pastor. Have you bought a gallon of gas recently? Money means quite a lot, apparently. It does. It means quite a lot to your checkbook. It means quite a lot to a lot of people around you. But to the one who is in control of everything, who knows everything, and who has every single circumstance figured out, money means nothing. And so to the Christian, money should mean very little. Now, please don't misunderstand me. If your boss is offering you a raise at work, take it, by all means. I'm not trying to stand up here and be like, you all should be poor. Make sure you empty your savings account into the offering plate this next Sunday. What's your favorite saying? Money is sin, send me your sin. My dad says that. I like that one. But the fact of the matter is that there is pretty much nothing in this world that causes strife, that causes pride, that causes us to doubt more than money. Because if you have a lot of it, you feel like you don't need God's provision. And if you don't have much of it, you're constantly begging God for more of it. I grew up in a household that was amazing. Sometimes we had some money. More often than not, we didn't have much. As an adult, I have been told of times where food, presents for Christmas, things like that, just randomly showed up. Still don't know who they came from. Maybe my dad does and hasn't said, but don't know where they came from. I grew up in a family that very much understood 
God takes care of those who are following after him. I'm very appreciative because as an adult now, yeah, I like having money. I like being able to buy things. I liked it when I was a single man in college raking in like $2,000 a month because I didn't have any expenses. I was like, this is great. I don't pay for anything except my phone bill and car bill. This is awesome. Eat out whenever I wanted to, you know, stuff like that. Buy stuff. It was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it. God gave me about a year time span where I got to do that and then said, all right, you're done. I have things I need you to do. Money means little. There are days where I look at things and I go, going to be tight. I wish we had more. And I know most of you, I'm going to guess all of you, but at least most of you have been in that position if you don't just live in that position to say, we'll make it, maybe. But the wise person is a humble person who understands God takes care of you. And you have to have faith that he is going to do it. You have to have faith that when he says, throw the extra 20 in the offering plate, he's going to make it be okay. You have to have faith that when he says, give to that missionary, it's going to be okay. You have to have faith when he says, move to Idaho, that he's going to make it be okay. I picked that out of a hat. I was getting a weird look over here. I just picked a state out of a hat. What's the furthest you can get? Washington? Actually, the furthest you could get is probably Alaska. Is Hawaii further than Alaska from us, you think? It might be. I don't know. Somebody look it up. Don't look it up. Somebody Google map that. How far? No. The fact of the matter is, do you trust him when he gives you the wisdom? Whether it's your money. Whether it's your time whether it's in the midst of trials and tribulations, do you trust him? I look at my life and I say, he's giving me every reason to trust him. And he's never given me one not to. And he's never going to. That does not mean my life is easy. I said last week, I love my life, and I do. I've lived a fairly hard life in a lot of ways. I'm very thankful for it because it was an enjoyable one, in my opinion. It's a hard life when you're five years old in a van, but I loved it. I was the only one who loved it, but I loved it. <laughs> Do you trust him? And here's the great thing. You don't have to trust him alone. Because there are moments when I don't. There are moments when my faith is shattered when my faith and I'm going what am I supposed to do but I have incredible parents I have incredible uh, uh, aunts and uncles I have an incredible wife I have people around me who come around me I have an incredible church congregation who are willing to come around me and say let's trust God together and the great thing is I get to do the same thing when their faith when your faith is broken because God understood that we were going to need each other in this whole walk. Because some trials and tribulations are too much for us to handle. 
One of the biggest lies we tell ourselves is that God will never give us more than we can handle. Bull crap. He will always give you more than you can handle. Why? If you can handle it, you don't need him. If he gives you a weight that you can carry, what need do you have of him? He will always give you more than you can handle. He says, do you trust me to help you carry it? Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you that you give us faith. Yes, one day we won't need faith anymore because we'll be home and we'll see you and we'll have answers to some of the questions that we've had. I thank you, Father, for the trials and tribulations that you send our way and allow to come our way. And I pray that we would all learn and grow and become more mature from them. That we would not look at them and be downcast, but we would look at them and get joy because we know it's making us into the image of your Son. And God, I pray. I want to pray this morning for those of us here who are strong in faith right now. We feel like we could take on anything. We're just right with you. I pray that you would keep us there as long as we can stay. And for those of us here who are on the opposite end, who are struggling, who don't know how they're going to get through this moment, let alone today, I pray that you would comfort them and grant them the faith and that you would allow us and help us to come around them so that we can all consider it all joy when we face trials and tribulations, Father. It's the name of your Son we pray. Amen.